Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our uh, super specialized episode on generalism. No, but no. Welcome back to our second episode on grounded generalism. If you have no clue what that is, please go ahead and take a listen to our previous episode. Basically, grounded general is the idea or the ethos or the philosophy that it is valuable to know a lot about and to have skill in more than one thing, but not necessarily everything about relevant topics, but not necessarily all of them. So as we explained last time, it is a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-a-few kind of vibe, and it exists for us in our clinical practice and our lives as a pushback against both the hyper-super-duper specialization that we see in a lot of areas of our world, including medicine and health and wellness, and on the other side of the spectrum, the just Google it, everyone's an expert because everyone has access to a lot of information, but that doesn't really make you an expert. The other side of the Dunning-Kruger effect, whereby you have a low level of knowledge and competency and you overestimate it. Today, we are going to be diving deeper into why you actually don't really have a choice as to whether or not you are a generalist. Sorry, not sorry, because humans actually evolved that way and we evolved as generalists. So you have a biological birthright and a social birthright to generalism. So let's dive into that, Forrest. We yeah, evolved so as generalists. We let's did. Start there. We we evolved as generalists. This allowed us to not only survive in a lot of diverse environments, but also to utilize a larger array of skills and survival strategies, mm -hmm. which makes us more versatile and unspecialized compared to a lot of other animals in the animal kingdom. So if Absolutely. we think the Carnivores and the insectivores and the herbivores are oftentimes very specialized. You can think like of the really extreme end of the spectrum, like a koala bear that only eats eucalyptus leaves. leaves. And or the, even a and cat the... is an obligate carnivore. Mm -hmm. I hate to break They're the obligate folks, carnivores. They're obligate mm -hmm. carnivores. Yes. Whereas then omnivores are more generalists. Mm -hmm. They're more like us. And I would say that we, we're super omnivores. We yes. develop such generalism in our diet that we can exist almost as herbivores, almost, mm -hmm. not all the way. And we can exist almost as carnivores, almost, not all the way, because of our Metabolic flexibility. Metabolic flexibility. Absolutely. Which is a survival strategy, but then also the flip side of that, as we were talking before this episode, is that we are committed to the omnivore life because we yes. can't be completely herbivores now and we can't be completely carnivores now because of, we always uh, have we one occupy that foot. middle space. Yeah. yeah, we occupy the middle space. So even if you eat mainly meat, you're really living that carnivore-ish life. You, and I have that's notes, where you're but... moving. You have to at least have a pinky toe, if not a whole foot back in the omnivore world. You still, right. we still have gut bacteria that need to be fed, requirements, gut bacteria yeah. that needs to be fed nutrients that we are not set up biologically to get just from meat. And yes. on the other hand, we can really get close to being a gorilla or a, <laughs> a buffalo really be in a very plant-based, very starch-based diet, almost exclusively 
But, and I'm going to be controversial here, you still have to have a baby toe or, in my opinion, more of a foot back Mm -hmm. in the omnivore world because we didn't develop digestively to exclusively eat those foods and we still need other stuff. And we can't so, get our nutrients that we need out of them. Now, before this becomes an, an episode on veganism versus carnivorism, that is also true from just even a macronutrient standpoint, yeah, right? Definitely. Like we are medically, when I say metabolically flexible, I also I also mean we we run into issues, right? In today's world, we run into issues oftentimes with too many processed starches and carbs and, and that we can take that to a further extent where we have too much fuel in the bloodstream particularly carbohydrates. And then that's oftentimes when you get things like metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes. But up to a point, humans are incredibly metabolically flexible when it comes to their macronutrients. Like I can get my fuel, the calories I need to burn energy and and power the system from fats, from proteins, from starches, right? Like I can extract that from my gut bacteria, can extract, what is it, like 10 to 15% of your, of your mm-hmm. energy from the breaking down the fiber that we don't digest, but rather our gut bacteria digest and turn into, is it butyric acid, I believe? And so we are incredibly metabolic flexible. And so that that has to do with the length of our digestive tract. That has to do with the enzymes that are there and how much stomach acid we have and how long our food spends in different stages. That has to do with several things. But the sum of that is that we are we are generalists on a physiological level when it comes to our digestion, right? And that generalism lets us specialize. I think we, true paleolithic diet was very generalist, kind of like I think the diet that inspired what people think of as paleo, we could think of as like the Ice Age diet, where our ancestors really got as close as we could get to being carnivores. Mm -hmm. But we still had to get some starches. We still had to get some vitamin C and other vitamins like that from fruits, things like that. We still had to get our green vegetables. And then agriculturally, we really moved into high starch, high, high grain based diet. But for survival, we still had to get a little bit of meat. We still had to get a little bit of uh, green vegetables. We still had to get fruits and things. So we like even at the most extreme ends, which we can debate if those are healthy or useful diets in today's mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Even those extremists had to keep one foot in the omnivore, the grounded generalist dietary approach. Um, and then I would say that we exist in the realm of believing that maybe the more towards the middle we are, mm-hmm. the better and the more biologically appropriate that would be. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And this isn't just the case when we say we have a biological birthright to generalism. Physiologically, yes. And then also even physiologically in our digestive system, but then also in movement. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. You think of how many different kinds of movements we can do as humans. And the same thing goes there. I think when you think about the difference of a cult is born... With all the horse, I was wondering programs. if we were going to touch on this example. I'm glad yeah. you mentioned it because I was going to bring it up if you didn't. I love the the baby and the cult. Yep. Uh, so the cult is born. Well, with... Actually, sorry, Forrest. Can I say? Can I actually? Sure. Can I do... Cult is a male foal. You're right. Philly I, is I'm... a female foal. So a foal would actually be a, a slightly foal. more inclusive You're right. way. Thank you. I, I'll start correct. The quotes from uh, the book Job's Body, and they use cult, not and I keep ah. reading, but it's okay. yes, let's let's foal. rewind that. Let's say. The fall versus the baby, the human baby. A baby um, horse versus the human baby. Baby horse versus human baby. 
the horse comes basically preloaded with all the horse moves. That's you know, why, so within- dear listener, if you have never seen or heard about how a horse can or a foal can get up and run and walk and leap and jump around within an hour of being born, that's why. Because they come yep. preloaded with all the movement patterns, most of the movement patterns that they need. A lot of them. Yep. They just survival. have all, they just have all the horse moves. And a lot of people biologically tend to go the directions of talking about head sizes and the birth canal and that it's this negative thing that humans are not born with those movement patterns that we have to associatively learn them in that as if that's a disadvantage but actually Mm. it's an advantage because it means we get to dynamically learn all the diversity of human movements based on the environment that we're in. Yeah, I was going to say, and make that make us best suited for our particular environment, which has a lot of... Yes. So that's also... It's really our superpower. Like you, to make a goat a mountain goat, it takes a few generations. But to make human a mountain Mountain climber, climber. it just takes learning and, and developing skill in this lifetime. So with that, we were still grounded generalists in our movement patterns. We can swim, we can climb, We can run run long distances. We can walk long distances, which cover a different kind of distance for a different reason. We can sprint. We can't sprint as good as a cheetah. We can carry heavy loads. Yeah. We can carry heavy loads. We can do things with our hands, which is one of our specialties. But we still do these other things. And so that wide variety of skills means that we have more ability to survive. We have more ability to handle climate change, to handle social change, to Mm -hmm. adapt to whatever comes our way. Because again, Um, like we mentioned in the last episode, it's not that generalists can't also specialize. But when you are, when, when, if you start out as a specialist, it's, you can't generalize, I guess we could say the reverse of that. A horse can't learn to climb a mountain like in in its lifetime, yes. maybe uh, again, like a, ma- a goat can get turned into a mountain goat and learn the ways of a mountain goat and be adapted to that after several generations. But inside the same lifetime, a human think about the diversity of movements that a human can do. Right. Like we can jump out of a plane. We can climb a mountain. We can roll around on the ground. We can swim. We can climb. We can do huge variety of movements within the same person's lifetime because of the way that. Yes. Not only because of our generalism and also obviously because of the way that we are wired to with neuroplasticity to pick up new movement patterns with practice. But that's part of that is of that. I would argue is that that's part of that generalism is the capacity to expand the palette, if you will. The palette. Exactly. Unfortunately, I think that movement is especially fall in prey to hyper specialization mm. whether that Especially be young people be, whether that be the hyper specialization of being yeah. sedentary yeah. or the hyper specialism in sports and athletics and i think that our philosophy we've talked about in other podcasts with at move nourish is creating that foundation and base of movement nutrition which mm-hmm. could also be called movement generalism yeah. um that fills in those holes that way if your specialty is sprinting or your specialty is ultra marathoning or your specialty is martial arts, you're filling in any potential holes that yep. Nutri- your specialty movement nutrient deficiencies, as movement we call nutrient them. deficiencies, mm-hmm. exactly, that your line of speciality isn't getting. Yep. And so I think that's a really important area of that's having awesome. our generalism in our movements, having generalism in our diets as a part of our like obligate biological generalism. But it doesn't stop there because we also have social generals. We yes. are mm-hmm. neurologically in our way we interact with each other in our environments, intellectually and emotionally, we also evolved as generalists. Yes. So we're 
social animals that live in social groups and those social groups are what allows us to have specialized skills and niches and we do have those for sure and we have had those for definitely. many hundreds of years but in more traditional societies in the past ancestrally what we would have a base of the grounded generalist skills that mm -hmm. is the foundation and yes. that foundation not only helps to enhance the skills that you specialize in but also provided a social insurance policy for the community. So yes. you might have yes. in a community a basket weaving specialist that makes the the best baskets. You yes. might have the fishing specialist and the herbalist specialist and the tool making specialist. But if a saber tooth tiger and eats eats the basket weaver, everyone in the community would have some degree of basket weaving skill. It might not Which be as pretty. <laughs> it might not be as pretty. We might completely lose advanced basket weaving technology from our little community because we lost the dearly departed basket weaver. But we will not go basketless. We all can make some basic ugly baskets at least. That'll work. Yeah. Until hopefully that basket yeah. weaver had an apprentice. <laughs> the other piece is the synchronicity of the group. So that would be an example of the local fishermen and the local herbalist when they're out getting herbs and fish, they would know enough about basket weaving uh -huh. to be able to recognize, oh, that's, that's a really good, that's a really good stand of willow or a really good stand of reeds that we can basket weave with. And I they would have the skill to collect that, bring it back, even if they're like, well, I've got fish to gut. I'm going to let the basket weaver make the baskets. They still had enough grounded generalism to be able to engage in the basket re process. And yes. the basket weaver might have the same thing with herbs. When they're out collecting yeah. willow, mm -hmm. they also would dig up roots that they know that the herbalists use. That yes. way, everything works in sync a lot more, even though people can have their specialized skills. Yes. And so this kind of makes me think of the question that I don't remember which of Michael Pollan's books it is, but in, in probably more than one, or I think it's in his food rules book. He talks about one of the food rules being if your great grandmother wouldn't recognize it as food, don't eat it. And I that makes me think of that because if all of our great grandmothers and, and grandfathers and grandparents were looking down on us, how much even just those few generations removed, how much fewer general life skills we have that even just a couple of generations ago because of the way culturally we have become ever more hyper super duper specialized right yes and then it creates this positive feedback loop of the more hyper specialized you get the more dependent you are on the products of that hyper specialization the example that we were talking about before we started uh, recording was you have to work longer and harder in order to be able to trade your specialized labor for generalist skills that we have lost that we need in order to meet our basic needs, including those needs like our health. So think about growing and preparing food. How many people don't have a base, what our grandmothers and grandparents would consider like basic knowledge, like embarrassingly little knowledge about how to grow and prepare our own food compared to just a few generations. I probably can count on, and I mean, I know a lot of crunchy people, but like I could probably count on one hand or two hands of certainly the amount of people I've met in my life who could see a chicken in a field and take that chicken from the field to dinner all the way through yeah. and know what to do and have the skills and have the knowledge in order to safely and effectively do that. The example they, that you gave is like basic home repairs. Right? Yeah. So it's not saying that everyone has to be very, very handy. 
but we can look generationally at these decrease in basic home repair skills, which then increases the need to work more and harder to have enough money to pay for a specialist who is increasing their value because of how specialized they're becoming. Mm -hmm. And so then we all become so specialized that our time is, our specialized time is very valuable and deserves to be compensated. But if we don't have the generalized skills, then we all are more stuck on this capitalistic hamster wheel of running just to be able to pay for the specialized knowledge of what should I eat to not be inflamed and what do I do about my door that won't shut and how do I do that? So it creates everything that we don't have basic knowledge in or basic skill in has to be outsourced. And we look at the increase in what needs to be outsourced. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that it's realistic to go back to our ancestral ways, the way we spent 200,000 years. But we've swung very far to the other side of that pendulum. And I think it's reasonable to think that we can, again, swing back towards the middle. We can swing back towards the middle. We can use the the awareness that we spent 200,000 years as grounded generalists and that Moving back in that direction in any step that we can can have benefits to the society, to the environment, to the social wellness of the people that end up having to do the tasks that we no longer know how to do. Think who has to cut up the vegetables that you buy because you don't know how to use a knife, have the skill of how to use a knife and cut up vegetables anymore. And I don't mean that any of these examples as looking down on there. Societal reasons. We why are all we don't caught up in the churn of this. This is not and, any individual and, person's. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It's not a very lucrative thing, at least immediately, to be a grounded generalist. It's mm. not like it provides a great living. Necessarily. Economically, necessarily, without creativity. Economically, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to be a specialist uh, yep. and be a better specialist so that you make more that you can then pay for the other specialists to do yeah. everything for yeah. you. Yep. But where is that leading us? And also in terms of life satisfaction, and this might be just a personal note, I wouldn't consider myself a prepper or a survivalist, but I do draw a lot of satisfaction from my broad competencies. And I'm not like trying to collect them like Pokemon. I'm not trying to be able to do everything. But there's certain basic, meeting my own basic needs and returning to a simpler and fewer steps and fewer middlemen or middle people between me and those basic needs I think that's one of the reasons there's this resurgence of like gardening and herbal medicine and sourdough, like in fermentation and essential oils and this, these like crunchy, if you will, pastimes or leanings. I think one of the reasons we find them so satisfying is because we feel unmoored by the level of specialization that surrounds us. And the specialization makes it more difficult to find engagement and enchantment in life. Yes, and sensory engagement even, just down to Mm -hmm. the sensory engagement with life. And I think what's also really interesting about this is this process is proceeding apace despite the astronomical amount of just like nuts and bolts information that we have access to. Like you could technically Google or YouTube how to do just about anything. But does that mean that you could do it effectively or do it competently? Right? Like think about how many times you've like made a recipe if you ever tried to make a recipe. And especially if it was like gluten-free or some sort of modified recipe and it did not turn out the way that it did when you watched the video or when you read the recipe. Access to the information does not automatically equate to competency and skill. I think that's just like an important caveat there. 
And then I think another caveat is going back to the difference between generalism and grounded generalism. We're not suggesting that you be completely the jack of all trades that lives in a bunker. Off the grid. And, off the yeah. grid and it's completely self I mean, if you want to do that, great. That's cool. But great. it's not feasible for most people. I would also propose that that hyper individualism, isolationism style approach to generalism is inherently also not towards our biological and social evolution. Correct. It's more about building our foundation of skills and competencies so that we can better engage in those. I harvested potatoes yesterday and it made me not only more engaged in my environment and brought joy and brought like a lot of accomplishment gave me movement satisfaction. And, and, yeah. and satisfaction but it also made me appreciate the local farmers and what they do and a level of appreciation that's not like the modern support our farmers because that's how our food gets here eventually we don't know how it gets there but it but we should support them but like an actual like local engagement of ah what would it be like to specialize in this? What would it be like wow. to like... Yeah, this is a lot of face, work. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lot of work. That kind of thing, being able to think about that, being able to then like take that to the farmer's market later and be able to take that experience and apply it to when buying the potatoes and knowing how much those potatoes are worth and things like that. It, it provides a social connection that isn't there when we isolate ourselves through specialty. Sure. Because that rugged individualism is just in another almost another facet of the same cultural ill that leads us to hyper-specialization. Yeah. I would argue it's a branch off of a similar tree. Yeah. So we mentioned in our last episode some of the health benefits of grounded generalism. Let's talk about that a little bit to close. Yeah, that sounds great. So um, we mentioned last time, firstly, that it really facilitates this cross-pollination of ideas and skills across people and across communities, but even just within the same person, right? Like, it can make yeah. you better at your specialty. Doing something different and like cross-training, if you will, to take a, a metaphor from the movement world, makes you better at the thing that you're trying to be really the best at. Yeah, I, I can say that me personally, working with Clay and Felt mm. have benefited my career and my work with structural body work more <laughs> sometimes than some of my actual training that I spent money on in structural body work. So there's insights that came from that craft mm -hmm. that came from that part of my grounded generalism. And I'm not a commercial felt, I'm not specialized in that, right. but that generalism fed something that I am specialized in. Yes, absolutely. What and else? I think, we, I think we talked about, we've talked about before, but like grounded generalism helps to prevent deficiencies and deficits. So you can think of that first off in nutrition. The generalism of the diet prevents literal nutritional deficiencies. Then we look at movement. Well, having movement nutrition, having movement generalism prevents deficits or deficiencies that can come from in muscle imbalances, from different repetitive forms of use structural injuries. repetitive yeah. use that would come if we only did the specialized movements. And then we can look at that with mental and emotional capacities with mm -hmm. the things that we do, our hobbies and things. Those provide a pathway for neural and sensory and emotional expression that may not be a part of our daily grind. It may not mm -hmm. be a part of our specialty or part of what yes. we do as a career. We might work in a very intellectually grinding profession and then 
things that promote social engagement in our off time, in our grounded generalism, those help to bolster up all of that heady work. Or we may be in the helping profession and the intellectual pursuits or creative pursuits with physical craft may be what helps to support and bolster up all of the resources we spend with empathy and our helping career. Mm -hmm. So through all of that, we can prune and nourish all of our neural and soulful pathways Mm. through the, the base grounded generalism that keeps us more balanced. Yes. You also mentioned last time that on a collective level, more of us pursuing grounded generalism or cultivating grounded generalism also helps close this knowledge gap that keeps us in hyper-specialized silos. Yes, it does. It helps reduce that knowledge gap. And I think that really importantly, something that we're seeing a lot of is that Dunning-Kruger effect of in this modern society where all of our knowledge is separated into these silos, then we crop up and get people who because of that gap, don't and know the what they don't know. inaccessibility of the knowledge, yeah. Yeah. Don't know what they don't know. We mm-hmm. don't know what they don't know. And yes. so then they think, well, I don't know any organic potato farmers, but I just planted some potatoes and, and harvested them with a fork. And so now I must be the potato man. I'm the potato expert. I'm going to write a book on potato growing. And, and you forget to cure them and then you poison everyone. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> and you don't really know anything about yeah. them. You share it on Facebook and then you poison all your friends because you don't know enough about growing potatoes to know that you need to cure them, for example. We could also be talking about any number of cultural phenomena over the last several years. Another thing is that grounded generalism also provides recovery. So Mm. whatever we may specialize in, having grounded generalism means that we have to pursue things other than our specialty. Because it's not just a thing that you just get and you have. Mm. You Yeah, you cultivate it. You still cultivate it. So the non-basket weavers of the community, they still basket weave every once in a while, even though that's not their specialty. But the thing is, is that whatever you do that's not in your hyper specialty is recovery from all the work you spend in your specialty. And so the more you spend on generalized pursuits, the more recovery you have. And so that can be, you know, it's also resilience work. It's resilience work. It builds mm-hmm. resilience and adaptivity. It means, I think we can look at this in tiers. I think that cross training and recovery work like we do professionally with clients is the first step. It's okay, well, you're extremely hyper-specialized. So we're going to use cross training as the bolster to give some generalization back to kind of like band-aid that. Fill in the bit. gaps. Yep. Fill in the gaps. But even more holistic would be moving towards let's, decrease a little bit of the level of that specialization in some folks. We don't all have to be specialists. That's where we have to really look at, do I like running and want to put emphasis on that, but still have my grounded generalism versus am I good enough and talented enough and passionate enough about running that I'm going to be a very specialized runner and spend a ton of time on running and only give enough to your grounded generalism to support your health in that, but you're really pushing in that specialty. But not every runner needs to be that specialized in running. Um, And I think that when devotion and commitment become synonymous with hyper-specialization, that's part of where we run into this problem. Because we have been sold this idea that in order to be great at something, you have to hyper-specialize, that you can't be a generalist because that means that you won't put enough time into one thing. When, in fact, as I referenced in our last episode, there's a book called Range 
by David Epstein, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World, that is showing that the people that are really the best in the world in complex environments are not the people that hyper-specialize. So not only does everyone not have to be the specialist, but being the specialist, depending on your field, may not even be the best path to greatness. And even in modern times, that same security like backup system that we talked about with the basket weaver in the in the past is still there. The you social know, safety we, net, if you the will. The social safety net. <laughs> if you think about what are the things that bring emotional resilience, you have a spectrum. If it's too many things, you jump from this and that for emotional wellness and don't ever fully dive into them, that can be ungrounded. On the other hand, if you just have two things or one thing, like there's one thing in the world that provides emotional coherence and wellness and support. Well, then if that thing gets taken away or your ability to do that thing gets taken away or is lost, then it leaves you in a place where you have no ability for emotional regulation or you put all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. It's the eggs in one basket. Yep. Like that's exact. That's a grounded generalism. Yeah, yeah. All right, dear listeners, thank you for listening to us nerd out on our hyper specialist topic of grounded. No, we are both committed grounded generalists. And if you like this episode, please let us know. Please share it with five people and tell those five people to share it with five people. This has been the Move Nourish podcast. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. And we will catch you next time.